I don't do very well underwater. I create too much drag, I float even when I want to sink, and what was that other thing? Oh yeah, right, I can't breathe. I just don't have the right body. To actually thrive in this environment, I would need to be more streamlined, I'd need a system to get oxygen out of the water, lateral compression would be nice. Right, just like that. So there's a lot to go through just to survive underwater, but there's just as much change needed if we're going the other way. But let's say I was a bar-headed goose migrating above 20,000 feet up over the Himalayas. Well, the first thing is, of course, I would need to be lighter. My mammal bones and body are too dense. I need more surface area on my appendages to create lift, so I gotta get feathers. I need a bigger heart, and I gotta have more efficient lungs to cope with a lack of oxygen. There has to be changes all throughout the body to survive in this part of the atmosphere. But what if I needed to inhabit an environment even more extreme than this? What if I had to cope with the conditions in, let's say, the afterlife? Do we need a spiritual body to navigate this world just like we need a physical body to navigate the physical one? What characteristics does it need to have? Is the fact that there's so many people talking about astral bodies and subtle bodies and souls and spirits evidence that we do graduate to a new body at some point? And could we possibly already have another body or two without even knowing it? Welcome back to Swedenborg in Life. Today we're going to be talking about spiritual bodies and their arrangement and the significance for all of us. That should be pretty sweet. My name is Curtis Childs and I'll be your host. And with me is Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging out. I it's don't know. So fun. Did you get a chance to catch the intro? I did. Was that dizzying? Yeah, well, it was terrible. But I did it for science and to, to learn this moral. The moral of the story is if you're going to go live somewhere, you've got to have a lot of adaptation in order to handle that environment. Mm. But we here on this show will often talk about, hey, we're going to move all the way into the spiritual world after death. We're going to live there just fine. But we're never worried about how we're going to breathe. The mechanics. Yeah. How do you walk around? How do you see? How does that work? Right. And I think people often solve this idea with the concept of spiritual bodies, that we have a body, but then also a spirit. And the spirit will do fine in the afterlife. And in a lot of ways, people will say, like, the spirit is kind of the star of the show. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, Swedenborg would say the spirit is the real you, not only your thoughts and feelings are you, but even the senses that you're having, what you hear and see, is your spirit sensing in your physical body. Yeah, it sounds really great, but could your spirit pick up this mug? Oh, I bet it could. Let me see. So we're obviously having a problem here. And this is the same problem that led Swedenborg to say, to accomplish anything, the soul must act through the body. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Passage. Yeah, no, it's good. You should read Swedenborg. Yeah. It's really good stuff. Uh, so just, okay, forget the spirit thing. Just grab the mug like you just okay. grab a mug. What Swedenborg asserts here is that we're seeing the soul and the body working together. And the only reason that that needs to happen is because this is a physical mug. Yeah, that's right. The spirit can't touch it. They're on two different levels. Yes, because right. the they're not adapted to each other. That's exactly right. Yeah. The physical body is suited to this environment. Mm. So uh, there's a multi-part arrangement going on, and it brings up all these questions. Like, first of all, what are the how does this thing work? Why do we have that in the first place? Yeah, and do they change? Our physical bodies change over time. Do the other bodies 
change or are they yeah. just static? How are does it work? Are they as complex as this? And what are we? When I thought of myself as I'm just Curtis, now I'm in this room, now I'm in the next room, but if I have multiple bodies and layers going on, what are we? What are we exactly? Right. And we're not the first right. people to be pondering this because no, through, throughout all, all kinds of cultures in history, people have been talking about not just multiple bodies, but layers of multiple bodies. Uh -huh. You have, for example, near-death experiences, right, where right. people will have a physical body and they, oh, I left my body, but there's still me, and often they still have hands and feet and everything like that. Yeah, and in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about what kind of body we have after we die, and he states straight up, well, there's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. Yes, and then there's the etheric body, which was named by neo-theosophists, which is a a vital or a subtle body in esoteric philosophies. Right, right. And isn't there something about the astral body right. that is w what you're traveling in when you have out-of-body experiences that the theosophists and neo-Rosicrucians talk about? In Indian philosophy, or yoga, Hinduism, they talk about the subtle body, which is made up of layers or coverings of the self called koshas. So multiple layers. That's right. Yeah, yeah, right. And there's other philosophies as well. Oh, it's just yeah. a little sampling. And so, would Swedenborg's material line up with this stuff and how? He wasn't mm. using those terms, but he does lay out an entire structure of bodies mm. that we have. Yeah. So this graphic probably doesn't make it look super simple in the beginning, but he does talk about the basic duality of having a physical body. So that's the flesh all the way on the outside. We've got, there. they're okay. right here, nobody's gonna debate that. But then we've also got our spirit, which we saw a right. ago with you. But he talks about also ascending levels of heaven and needing to have a suitable vehicle for each of those levels mm. as well. Heavenly bodies, if you will. And all those in the complete human form. And then what's this one hanging out on the side over there? Yeah, that is what you could call the thought body or an avatar, if you will that for traveling, so Swedenborg talks about the fact that it's possible to travel in the spiritual world when your spirit is somewhere, but you can be present somewhere else. So you need another body for that as well. Have we confused you sufficiently? We're gonna, that's, that's, our, that's our business model. Try to make things confusing and then you gotta stay and watch as we unpack <laughs> it, or you just click away. It's so you don't clever, care. isn't it? So really? let's begin with the basics. Uh, we saw before you reaching for the mug and you had a, a spirit and a body, but how does that even work to have those to, to be sort of driving two bodies at the same time. Mm. Well, let's take a look at that. While we're alive in the flesh, our spiritual body is not just dead. It's actually living. We don't sense it most of the time, but it is possible under certain extraordinary circumstances to pick up those senses from that spiritual body. Here's an experience that someone had of an out-of-body experience. I had an out-of-body experience. I was under 13 years old. When I was rising out of my physical body, so leaving the physical body, I could see a second body which had the same shape as my physical body. Isn't that amazing? And it was rising out as well. This second body looked like a transparent, empty, clear glass bottle occupying the same space as the physical body. This really suggests this layering thing, doesn't it? These two bodies on top of each other and they even look alike. And there's another story. While undergoing surgery on her physical body after this severe biking accident, this woman experienced a near-death experience in which she was somewhere else and was in a totally different body. I did drift off as the anesthesiologist gave me my cocktail, but it wasn't to the gray state of nothingness that I expected. 
I abruptly found myself standing in a spectacular landscape unlike any I'd ever experienced. Warm breezes drifted across my skin, beautiful vistas of meadows and distant mountains surrounded me, and a pervasive loving presence overwhelmed me in its intensity. This place felt more real to me than any on earth. Through it all, I sensed and somehow physically felt an incredibly profound feeling of peace, rightness, goodness, and love flowing through my body. I didn't know where I stood or how I came here, but I felt at home, right, and at peace. In Swedenborg's case, he says that he was actually able to be conscious in two bodies at once and he was able to travel around in the spiritual realm, interacting with people in that realm and in his spiritual body while he was still alive in the physical body. And one strange thing that he says about this is that he was actually able to encounter the spirits of other people, because other people have the same condition, but they weren't as connected with what was going on in their spiritual bodies. So he was able to interact with them in the spirit but then they in the flesh didn't even realize they'd been talking with them. Here's what he says in True Christianity number 14. All of us on earth are associated in spirit with those in the spiritual world who are like ourselves. We are in a sense united to them. Quite often, in fact, I've been allowed to see the spirits of people who were still alive on earth. In some cases, the spirits of these people were in angelic communities. In some cases, in hellish communities. I've even been allowed to spend days talking with the spirits of people. It has amazed me that the people themselves, still alive in their bodies, were completely unaware that this was happening. Swedenborg also gives us a strange scenario of what can happen to some people sometimes when they're reflecting very deeply in this world, they can actually kind of manifest briefly in the other world. As we've read, no matter what he's doing on earth, Curtis is working in connection with people in the spiritual realm. If he's engaging in something for the sake of service to others, he's connected with a community of good spirits or angels. Most of the time, these spirits can't see Curtis because he'd be thinking about the earthly level of whatever he's doing, which is fine. Those activities can still be connected with the corresponding deeper activities of people in the spiritual realm. But if Curtis spends some time really thinking deeply, withdrawing his thoughts from physical life for a while, it can sometimes happen that then he becomes visible to the spirits that he's in community with. Swedenborg wrote in Heaven and Hell 438, When we are visible, it's easy to tell us from the spirits who live there, because we walk along, deep in thought, silent, without looking at others, as though we did not see them. And the moment any spirit addresses us, we disappear. So if every one of us has a spiritual body as well as a physical body at the same time, our physical body is going through these changes all the time throughout our lives, does our spiritual body change and develop as well? Well, if we're talking about development, we got to start at the beginning, right? And Swedenborg asserts that spiritual things got to develop and go through stages of complex arrangement in order to get to their goal, just like physical stuff. And he actually says that in conception, a human's conception, there's the physical processes and the spiritual processes going on together. And he describes this in depth in Divine Love and Wisdom 432, which we're going to jump into at length here. 
He says, no one can know what our first or primal stage in the womb after conception is like because we cannot see it. In his day, there weren't the same kind of microscopic advantages that we have now. Further, it is composed of a spiritual substance that is not vis visible in physical light. So obviously there is a physical development there, but he's saying there's some kind of spiritual development as well that you can't see. Some people in this world are inclined to focus their minds on our primal stage the father's semen that is the agent of conception, and many of them have fallen into the error of thinking that we are complete humans from the very first, and then reach completeness simply by getting larger. For this reason, some angels to whom the Lord had revealed it showed me what this first or primal stage of ours is like with respect to its form. Since they had made this a matter of their wisdom, and since the delight of that wisdom was to share what they knew with others, they were given permission to present a representation of that initial form of ours to my own eyes in heaven's light. That's the angel mindset is that I want to know a bunch of stuff because I love to let you know what's going on. So these angels are going to show Swedenborg how development goes down. It was like this. I saw what seemed to be a tiny image of a brain with a sort of face drawn faintly on its front with no appendages. On its upper convex part, this primal form was a composite of closely connected little balls or spheres. Each sphere was made up of still smaller spheres, and each of these spheres still smaller. So these may be assemblages of cells. This meant that there were three levels. Something that looked like a face was outlined on the front concave part. The convex part was enveloped by a very thin transparent meningeal membrane. The convex part, the miniature image of a brain, was also divided into what seemed to be two lobes the way a full-scale brain is divided into two hemispheres. I was told that the right lobe was the vessel of love and that the left lobe was the vessel of wisdom and that by some incredibly intricate connections they were like partners or roommates, which roommates is kind of a funny uh, analogy for that because it's just this loose association, but you do have to cohabit like the, like the hemispheres do. And Swedenborg seemed to um, preempt modern science in first assigning these lobes of the brain to the sort of intellectual and emotional functions that are now common. So in that description, it seems like he's describing something a lot like what happens physically, but is he describing something spiritual? Also, are there two similar things going on? We, I feel like I don't really know, but as he goes further in this number, it becomes clear that he's describing something distinctly spiritual. So here's where it goes from there. In the light of heaven, a radiant light, the angels also showed me that inwardly, this composite structure of a miniature brain was in the design and form of heaven with respect to both its setting and its flow while the outer composite structure was opposed to that design and that form. Once I had seen what they showed me, the angels said that the two inner levels, the ones that were in the design and form of heaven, were vessels of love and wisdom from the Lord, while the outer level, the one that was opposed to heaven's design and form, was a vessel of hellish love and madness. This is because we are born into all kinds of evil because of our hereditary imperfection, and these evils are located in our outermost natures. These flaws cannot be eliminated unless our higher levels are opened, the levels that are vessels of love and wisdom from the Lord. Further, since love and wisdom are the essential person, 
love and wisdom being the Lord in essence. And since this primal stage of ours is a vessel, it follows that there is in this primal stage a constant striving toward the human form, a form that it gradually takes on. So as we see there, the spiritual and the physical begin together in this very intimate way, much like now we have the spirit and the body in this intimate relationship. So that starts all the way from the beginning. And our spiritual body, its distinction is that it directly relates to our state of mind. And it evolves as our mind and intentions evolve. So just as our physical body forms and grows during our earthly life, the spiritual body is forming because we're still thinking and feeling as we go through life and our spiritual development determines the quality and development of our spiritual body. So that thing is still in this womb-like state. Swedenborg writes, in the process of regeneration, each of us is, as it were, newly conceived, formed, born, and brought up, and this to the end that we may become a likeness of the Lord with respect to love and an image of the Lord with respect to wisdom. And if only you will believe it, so you know when Swedenborg says that, something heavy is coming. We are in fact made new by that means. Not only are we each given a new will and a new understanding, but we are given a new body as well. The things that were there are not indeed entirely effaced, but only put aside so as not to appear. And the new things are, by the love and wisdom which are the Lord, formed in the regenerated person as in a womb. For such as we are in our will and in our understanding, such as we are also in each and all things. For each and all things in a person from head to foot are projections from them. We could tend to think of spiritual growth as, oh, this is something sort of peripheral that you do to try to think better about stuff. But this is, a t this is as dramatic as the first body forming in the womb. There's a lot going on here. And because these things are correspondences with each other, that they happen together, we may be able to draw some parallels between our spiritual body's development and our physical body's development, which could be useful because we can really track the physical body's development. So let's look for a minute now at how a physical body forms and grows and reaches its potential. So if you want to think about the um, human genome, genetic code, as a kind of predictor of just what your body's potential might be, all these different chemicals linked together, and it, it lays a blueprint for what might happen. but all those things that are encoded don't necessarily happen. There's, I, I see it as a big potential. Different factors really lead to the different genes being flipped off and on constantly. It happens minute to minute with really simple, kind of boring things, like if an individual cell needs more water right now, it can turn a gene on that'll let it make some proteins that go on the cell membrane and let more water come in. And that's happening constantly at a cell level. It also codes for the bigger things that we see, your height, your athletic ability, your eye color, whether or not you're going to get cancer maybe. So I, we would think of the genes being as always good things. There's also some kind of bad potential there. And lots of different factors drive when and whether or not these genes get themselves flipped on. Things like the environment. We, we definitely know more these days. There's a whole field called epigenetics that looks at how environmental factors can make your DNA level genome change. And then those changes can be passed on to the next generation, even if they haven't been exposed to those environmental factors. So that definitely has an impact. Diet, nutrition has a huge impact on, on what happens genetically. We know that there again, at, at real simple levels, you might be genetically programmed to have brown eyes. So you have 
genes that then let you make the enzymes that would let you make the color that makes your eyes brown. If you don't have the right dietary substances coming in, you can't make those compounds that then lead to the brown eye color. So that's a real simple example there. And we, we know there are nutrients that are critical at every single level. I might be genetically programmed to be a certain height and have a certain physical uh, skill level. If I don't have the appropriate diet, I might never get there from that. And I, I like kind of seeing all that together as you, you might be genetically programmed to be some elite level athlete, some, some elite musician, but if you don't have proper nutrition, if you don't have proper environment, we first have to do simple physical activities. We have to sit up, we have to hold our head up, we have to crawl, walk, learn to run, so on, before we can even do those really big activities. And that, that then brings all of it together. You need that genetic makeup. You need the environment, the encouragement. Taking the things that he focused on there, you have physical DNA that the expression of those genes determines a lot of things that are going on with the body. What would the spiritual counterpart to that be? Swedenborg talks about spiritual heredity, that we have a natural inherited tendency towards certain things. The fact that we're each born with a unique potential to become a the embodiment of a particular part of God's love and wisdom or a desire of God, as Swedenborg puts it, in some places that could be sort of our ge spiritual genetic blueprint that we can live into the expression of. He talked about food, the importance of food. Obviously you are what you eat. So what do you eat spiritually? Swedenborg says love and affection are the, the true substance that makes up our spirit. So you really think about what's your spiritual diet and the thought that comes from those and those uh, affections in the first place can be part of the appearance of the spiritual body. He talked briefly about movement and you think here we've got our, our predispositions and we've got our potential, but the choices and actions that we take through that, that's forming our spirit. What do we do with our spiritual free will? What do we gravitate towards? That can help to form these, this spiritual body in us. And then once we have that spiritual body, we can continue to progress through levels in the afterlife. Wouldn't that be a cool thing to see? You want to see it right now? Okay, let's go. So I know what you're thinking, and yes, Swedenborg learned through his experiences in the spiritual world that our physical body in this world is the very beginning of our spirit, but that's not an arbitrary arrangement. It's the way that it needs to be. Our physical body serves an essential function for our spirit's development, so whatever condition it's in, it gives our spirit this outermost level and a container. This physical level is enough to kickstart the eternal development of our spirit but we all know at some point that we shed the physical layer and then our spirit is free to live fully in the spiritual world. We know this, we call it dying. What we really are, so our own will, our own understanding, it continues to exist and it still has the human form because our spirit is intimately attached to every tiniest element of our body. So when we shed our physical bodies, Our spirit is actually in a form similar to the one that we had before. So the physical body is suited to the physical world, which is made up of physical substance. But the spiritual body is suited to the spiritual world and made of, yep, you guessed it, spiritual substance. Now, raise your hand if you know what spiritual substance is. No takers? A fascinating thing that Swedenborg learned is that spiritual substance is love and wisdom. 
So everything in the spiritual world is an expression of the love and the wisdom of the angels and spirits. So if I hadn't had a physical body, I would just be as transient as say, you know, the love I used to have for bananas as a kid. I don't love them anymore. But that's not the case for you and me because instead, by virtue of starting in a physical body, we have permanence. But now in this episode, we've died and we're done, right? Nope, because while we've moved up a level to the world of spirits, which is the entrance level to the spiritual world, we're still in the same position in a lot of ways. There are still spiritual things that we can't see. For example, heaven. They spoke of heaven and the magnificence there and remarked that the angels there are in the most beautiful human form, but still invisible to spirits. Some recently arrived spirits, not particularly evil, wondered at this. They fell into a state of quiescence as regards their body, for thus they can be transferred into heaven amongst the angels, because then the interiors are open so that they can be in the angelic state. They were thus quiescent for half an hour. After that, they relapsed into their corporeals wherein they were before and into the recollection of what they had then seen. They said that they had been among the angels or in heaven and that they there beheld stupendous things. It's actually like an out-of-body experience in the spiritual world. Heaven isn't just one homogenous zone. There are different levels to it, and those levels are so distinct from each other that they're each called a heaven on their own. So here we are right now in the world of spirits, but then there's the earthly heaven, then the spiritual heaven, and the heavenly or celestial heaven. And every level needs its own body that's suited to its environment, that corresponds to the quality of love and wisdom on that level. So there's a layer of our spiritual body for each level of heaven. So what are those other layers like? Let's check it out. Huh, not really a lot going on up here. Oof, I'm actually starting to feel a little bit woozy. Get ready, breathe. Ah, okay, I'm done. Ah, I want out of here. What was up with that? Oh, right. My body didn't change. I'm still in the one right now that's suited to the world of spirits. Yeah, your spiritual body comes under distress if it goes to a level of the spiritual world that it doesn't correspond to. Oh, hey, Chelsea. So then, how would you move up levels? It's the spiritual substance thing. The love and wisdom is pure at each subsequent level. You have to purge lower, denser body elements, which is the same thing as purging lower, outer states of mind. What is evil and false actually gravitates downward, spiritually speaking, and the outcome of this purging is spiritual lightness, so then you can be raised into heaven. Whoa, she must be in a really deep meditation right now to show up here in the world of spirits like that. But that's so cool. There's this processing that has to happen first. But once you're ready for the next level, what's the actual transition like? Well, it's kind of like dying again. Without shedding outward elements, no one is able to be admitted into what is very inward. Therefore, man must die on earth, which is a dying of the body, then die again in the other life when the attached nature element must be abolished. Okay, let's try it. (sighs) Ah, that feels better. What's the quality of love and wisdom at this level of heaven? It's a love of knowing what's true and what's good and living by it, but mostly in a matter-of-fact, obedient kind of way. So how do I go to the next level? Well, in the same way that I got here. 
Then again, the nature element must be abolished in order that the person may be admitted into the innermost heaven, thus into heavenly glory. In regard to forms, there is one within the other, and a more inward one cannot be entered upon except by a dissolution, or death, so to speak, of the outward one. So there is an ascending from one level to another. All right, you ready for the spiritual heaven? So as we're ascending these levels, the quality of the love and wisdom is changing, which means that it's also a shift in our thoughts and feelings, and it continues to be in a more and more perfect human form. Here in the spiritual heaven, it's no longer just a simple obedience to what you know is good and true. There is a love for understanding truth and understanding what goodness really means. What about the third deepest level of heaven? So let's shed this layer and find out. Wow. So here, the thoughts and feelings are distinctly different than the other levels. Here, there's a genuine love of wisdom. And that just means a love of living according to the truths and the goodness that we know and understand. This is actually the purest level of spiritual substance. And the angels that live at this level are so fully open to the Lord's love and wisdom that they have a full perception of God's presence in them giving them life as they live. And the joy and peace that they experience as a result of this, Swedenborg said, was totally beyond his ability to put into words. So it sounds pretty good, right? But it's not just something for the angels. All these levels are available to us. Their potential is written into the fabric of our souls from conception. And as we show up in our spiritual lives, we can trust that the Lord is carefully leading us in the processes we need to go through to be able to open our spirit at these higher levels, even while we're in this world. Hey. Hey, Chelsea. So tell me, what was it like traveling through the <laughs> levels of heaven? It was awesome, but it was like, even though there's all these different levels, it felt like each one was the full experience of heaven. You know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean, because I was just in the world of spirits, but I could have sworn it was heaven. Yeah, I guess it makes sense, though, if there's so much love and wisdom in each level that wherever you are, you're getting the full convergence of that stuff. Yeah. So where are we going? Well, so you know we have a spiritual body that's made of spiritual substance, right? Right. In the spiritual world, we'll also have a thought body of sorts, like an avatar. What? That's, I know. That's weird. It sounds wild, but it's really kind of like virtual reality in our world. Our spiritual body stays where our ruling love is. So that's kind of like when people say, you know, home is where the heart is. Exactly. But we can also thought travel. We can appear to be somewhere else, even though we stay rooted to our spiritual home. So I'm dropping you off here at Chris's and I'm going to Mass. I will see you in virtual reality. We are going to have fun. Yes, we are. So it's amazing, but Swedenborg writes, changes of location in the other world are of two kinds, you see. One involves the fact that all spirits and angels keep their same place in the universal human at all times, which is a visible manifestation. The other involves the fact that spirits can appear in a place when they're not really there, which is an illusion. Another way to think about it is thought versus heart. Your heart roots you to a specific place in the spiritual world because love is what creates true spiritual proximity. 
but you can appear to be somewhere by thought. Hello. I have learned both by talking with angels and by personal experience that spirits as spirits are not in the place they appear to be, so far as the organic substances composing the spiritual bodies they have are concerned. They can be very far off and still appear in that place. So here I am next to Matt. And here I am next to Chris. But they're interacting in this virtual place. So they appear to be together playing this game, but their true selves, their physical bodies in this example, are really miles apart from each other. So in the spiritual world, like in VR, we can appear to be anywhere, only our avatar in the spiritual realm will have a complete sense experience. Hey, maybe someday we'll get there in this world VR too. How much would you like? Uh, that's good. But in order for our spiritual body to actually move into a new spiritual environment, we have to have a genuine change of heart. All souls and spirits whatsoever from the beginning of creation appear in their own position at all times and never change place except when conditions inside them change. As conditions inside them change, their relative location and distance alter too. Hello. Guess who I'm drawing? Uh, Sally? It's a certain 18th century scientist. Uh, Newton? And I'd better change my location so that we can get on with the show. So we've been all over the place taking a look at all these bodies and what they mean, and I want to just bend the discussion back for a minute to the purpose of the whole thing. Why do we have these bodies in the first place? Yeah, that's right, and it's got to be the case that we're still one unique individual. Each person is different right. from everybody else. That's part of the scheme. But each of us has the potential to develop into deeper and better versions of ourselves shedding layers that no longer serve us. So there's a developmental aspect to all this. Yep, and you can't, as the layers do serve you though, you can't skip over any of them, even the, the lowly physical body. We've gotta take care of it. It's an important part of the process. So Swedenborg writes, we have every obligation to take care of our body, making sure it is nourished, clothed, and indulged with worldly pleasures. And that's an interesting point because yeah. some religions would have you think you're not supposed to indulge the yeah. body, you know. You're not supposed to enjoy anything. Yeah. But he says that's part of caring for it. Yeah. The whole point though is the soul, not the body. The point is for the soul to function in a healthy body that responds properly and to have the body as its fully obedient instrument. The soul will then be our final purpose. Yeah, so there's something more important than that care for the body, but you should care for both. Yes. That's right. And then you get to the soul, and that's the final purpose, and then that's the end, right? Uh, well, not exactly. So Swedenborg writes, except that the soul will not be a final, but only an intermediate purpose. We will take care of our soul, not for its own sake, but for the sake of services we then perform in both worlds. Ah, uh, there it is. It's not the vehicle, it's what the vehicle can do. Mm. And when being useful is our goal, the Lord is our goal. That's nice. Because he disposes us to be useful and oversees the useful activity itself. Mm. Seems so important. So the health of that spiritual body is important. And once we shed the physical body, that's our main vehicle. So it'll be an important instrument for us to operate through. That's how we accomplish this use that, that is our goal. And we're all born with the potential for these bodies that can go up to the highest heaven, but we've gotta develop that potential, right? Yeah, I don't think we just start there. That, that potential has to be developed over time, and we have free will about whether we wanna do that or not. Yeah, it's what we do within that matrix of free will. It's kind of like we've got a little, we're carrying a little spiritual body in us like a woman carries a baby physically. Oh, that's interesting. It's almost as if the earthly body 
is the womb in which the spiritual body develops, our spiritual life develops. And Swedenborg talks about this as a correspondence. Uh, people know that the human soul takes its start in the mother's egg, then develops in her uterus where a tender little body envelops it, a body that provides a suitable vehicle through which the soul can act in the world into which it is born. The same thing happens when we are being born again or regenerating. Mind blowing. The new soul we then receive is an intention to do well which takes its start in our rational mind, where it first exists in a kind of egg, mm. then develops in a kind of uterus. The soft little body that surrounds this soul is the earthly dimension and the goodness in it, which eventually comes to act in conformity with the soul's purposes. Mm. Believe it or not, heavenly goodness and spiritual truth from the Lord is what forms us and then plants in us the ability to receive both goodness and truth gradually. So far and so well as we focus on heavenly goals, and not on worldly goals. Ah, it's what we say so often. It's the purpose that makes, it, that's what's key to the whole thing. And yeah. it makes me think that just as with pregnancy, you have to think about nutrition, you think about avoiding toxins and so on. Yes. Uh, how does that play out in our spiritual life? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, because suddenly the mother's not living just for herself anymore. She's thinking, how does this affect the next generation? Right. So for us, as we go through our bodily life, we'd want to think about how is everything I do affecting my spirit? We'd, I guess, be looking for the same kind of stuff, like spiritual nutrition. You'd want to look for the truth, good desires, good actions, right? Yeah, and you'd want to avoid ideas that are toxic or self-centered or evil desires and harmful actions. Yeah, and doing that allows the development of this spiritual body that's gonna be able to live and breathe in the atmospheres of heavenly love that we all wanna get into. Mm. And this is something that's so important that we've talked about it ad nauseum on this show in different <laughs> ways. Here's six episodes that we did that, that are about this kind of regeneration or, or development. Yeah, yeah, very important process. It's a key theme in Swedenborg's works, right? That's right. And so we thought it was important, so we thought we would try to tell you all about it. And you, even if you're talking about some weird stuff like the mechanics of how the bodies stack up on each other, it comes into practical advice on how to end up the happiest you can end up, right? Yeah. It could That's be, right. Could be worse. And it's all about our goal and serving others. Thanks so much for hanging out today. Hey, thanks, Curtis. Hope you all enjoyed it. To recap, we've got a physical body suited to life here on planet Earth around sea level, and without it, we couldn't do anything here. Then we've got our spiritual body. This works in the world of spirits, and it also evolves into higher forms as you move up levels spiritually. And just for good measure, we've got our spiritual avatar or the projection of our spiritual body as a way that you can visit places in the spiritual world or appear somewhere that you're not really, which can be used for either positive or anti-social purposes. As with everything in the divine design, it's not needless complexity. All of these bodies and evolutions give us the vehicle that we need to navigate, to grow, and to change. It's exciting to think that using these spiritual bodies, we go from the grounded life we start out with here, onward and upward, into an infinity of possibilities.